0: Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, found on page 1291 in your Pew Bibles. James chapter 5, as the heading expresses a warning to the rich, we see here a something like an Old Testament prophetic denouncement, a declaration of woe on those who would mistreat God's people and those who misuse their power and wealth. Before reading the first six verses of chapter 5, let's pray. Dear Lord Almighty, we open your word to a section of Scripture that specifically extols your judgment That specifically extols your wrath to come and those who have misused and abused, as we could call them, the misusers of justice, those who act in sin and use power wrongfully and, as this text shows, use it against your very people. We see in this expression of your power and coming judgment, the love with which you have for your people to rectify these wrongs, to put them to right. And we see in this as well a call for our own obedience to refrain from mimicking the sin of these wicked men. We pray that we would be obedient and that we would see within this very text an expression of Jesus Christ, of his coming judgment, of his love for us and his will by which we are to live. We ask this in your dear name. Amen. Chapter 5, beginning verse 1, reading to verse 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. As far, the reading of God's Word, and may He bless it to our lives. In chapter five, James turns his attention to using a, a part of redemptive history for the believers. In chapter 5, what James does is he sort of enters a little class, a class on using eschatology 101. That's just a fancy way of making it sound like some elective you might take, but what he's doing is showing you how do we use the knowledge of the last judgment as believers. What does that do for believers? What does the knowledge of coming justice, of putting to right that that which is wrong in the world, mean for us? How are we to live? What difference does it make? And that's what James does in these first 12 verses of chapter 5. We're only looking at the first half of that, and the first half of that deals with the judgment on those who were unjust, the judgment on those who have wronged. And then the last half of that deals with the patience by which believers can live in light of that truth. That'll be next time when we go through that text. This time again, it is a use of a passage that sounds so similar to an Old Testament-like judgment you can think when you read through the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, there are these woes, woes against Edom, woe against Egypt, woe against Assyria and Babylon, and these judgments. Well, what do we do? What do we do with these judgment passages? The way I want to illustrate that, how we use them, is think of a a move date. If you've ever moved and went from one house to another, bought a house, or went from an apartment to a house, there's that date fixed. There's that day, well, we close here and we move this day. And that date, that upcoming date and time, bleeds into everything that leads up to that. That coming date affects everything we do, the thoughts... The actions, what we buy, what we sell, what we throw away, our whole life is characterized by a coming time, a coming date. We felt that when we were moving from an apartment to a home. You pack away what you know you won't need. You have a room designated for that so you can slowly pack and put it away. You start preparing for that move, but you have to keep in mind, what am I going to need until that date? And then as it draws closer, as these last days in your home approach, everything ramps up. Everything ramps up, and your fridge, you look at your fridge and you open it, and you're like, what are we going to take? What do I need to eat? Oh, that's, it's probably time for me to have that or throw that away. We're not taking that with us. We're going to leave that behind. We all experience that. Well, what James is saying in this text is to live with the knowledge of that move date in mind. But it isn't just a move date from a house. It's the last judgment. And though we don't know the day, we know it's coming, which means we should live just like the last days of a move. Everything is structured according to it. We're going to throw away this couch, and we're going to purchase a new one in the home, so don't worry about that. These riches don't matter. We'll throw them away. Well, in the same way, in these last days, what riches matter? And what James is saying here, he's giving us an example of those who've got it all wrong, Those who failed to see that the move date is scheduled on the calendar, it approaches, and there's no changing it, and they're not living in that reality. They're like those who live in an apartment, and the lease is done, and what they're doing is they're unboxing everything, and they're spending money on on upgrades to this apartment that isn't theirs, that they can't take with them, that will ultimately not come with them in the move, and they haven't seen it. And so in, in setting up this example of those who have failed in this, it's also a call for believers to heed it. A, ha- a call for believers to see that we are to live in the knowledge of the last judgment and that that actually brings to us great guidance, great strength, and great peace, even in the abuses we face at these, these fraudulent men's hands. The description James gives of what these men are doing is shameful. And what they're doing is they're treating God's people in this way. You see that in verse 6. Verse 6 shows that in the highest expression. At the end of the day, what these men have done is they've murdered the righteous person who does not resist them. That's what's being done to us in these last days. Well, without a knowledge of where we're headed, without a knowledge of that last judgment and the justice that's coming, we would despair. But with that knowledge, we don't despair. We're willing to suffer the fraud. We're willing to suffer abuse and misuse, knowing that there's one who comes to fix it all. Knowing that all that's done to God's people, the shameful acts committed against them, will be redressed and redressed by the one who knows how to bring that out, who knows how to fix it. Our God on his throne, our King, as the text says, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. It's he who comes. Stronger Christ-like cross-bearing comes to those who anticipate the just wrath of God. That's our theme this morning. Stronger Christ-like cross-bearing comes to those who anticipate the just wrath of God. What do I mean by that? We are better equipped. We are given more strength to bear our cross, to bear sufferings, when we anticipate the coming of the just wrath of God. When we anticipate the coming of Christ, we gain strength just in the knowledge that he comes, just in the knowledge that it will be put to right. And what we'll see here is the, the, the shame of these rich, these rich men's acts. Every verse points to that, and our points this morning will reflect it. Our first point will be foolish treasure. Our, section, our second point will be fraudulent gain. Our third point will be fattened self-indulgence, and last, ferocious brutality. All these things that describe what the rich are doing. That's why we use this. This clear description of the injustices of these rich men helps believers know that God fully sees the crime. By going so in depth, by naming what's being done, by saying, I've seen the way you've withheld these wages. I've seen the fraud that you have done. I've seen the murder with which you've treated my people. We know our Father in heaven sees. And it gives us strength and it gives us an understanding that we are to obey him by not doing these very things that are condemned so first the foolish treasure the foolish treasure you see this in verse 1 come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you it's verse 2 your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten it's the the foolishness of what they treasure what they've placed their stock in. It's like our illustration. It's the, it's the one in an apartment who's spending their inheritance on making it better. But it's not coming with them. It's foolish. Any investor would tell you that. Any investor would say, you don't spend your money on improving this apartment that you're leaving in a week. It's foolish. There's no wisdom in that, and yet that's what's going on. That's what these people are doing. Who are these rich that James is addressing? Some people think, is it, is it rich Christians or rich members of the covenant community? I don't think that's likely. I think who James is addressing here is the rich of the world who are abusing and misusing God's people. You could see that because in verse 7, which we won't get to this morning, but you see what he, he moves to. Because of the truth of verses 1 through 6, in verse 7 he says, "...be patient therefore, brothers." So it seems there is a transition between the condemnation of these these ungodly rich men and what we as God's people are to do in light of this knowledge. The other reason why I do not believe that he's addressing the, the members of the covenant community, these rich members of the covenant community, is because there's no call for repentance. There's no sadness at what's going on. He is giving a prophetic judgment. This is what's coming to you. And the tone of it, I'm not going to say is gleeful, that wouldn't get at it, but the tone of it is satisfactory. The tone of it is that it is right that God would do this. Put these things to right. So James here is acting as that Old Testament prophet saying we, or God rather, sees. He sees what you do. And the way to apply then this is to see in this prophetic judgment we see the power of God. We see the character of God. That's evident. He is one who is just. He's one who loves his people to come as this Lord of hosts to, to bring justice to the world. He has the power to do that. So we can see in every verse the power of God on display even in this judgment. We can also see it as what we've already said, a way to be comforted when we are abused and misused, to have peace, to have strength in our cross-bearing because it will be put to right. That's the other way to apply these texts, these verses. And the third way is that we see the will of God to life, his hatred of injustice, and so that call for us to, to refrain from acting in these ways. And I want us to keep that, those three ways of applying these verses in mind. They apply as well to how we would use any Old Testament text of judgment, any text of judgment. You see the character and power of God. You see the care for his people because he is coming on their behalf and as the judge of justice to act. And then we see the will of God for his own people. Don't do that. Don't live that way. But now the foolishness of these rich Verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. All of this is expression of foolishness. Your riches, riches means these things that you hold dear, these things by which you live, the goal of your life. You pursue these riches, well, they've rotted. And notice the tense. He does not say they will rot. He says they have rotted. Your garments, they strut around as their fancy peacocks, as their display of color and all the wealth of the world. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And then notice this, their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. It's like they're so contaminated. These riches that they, they go after are very corroding in their presence. They're rusty. They're falling apart. They have a, a sickness on them. And by touching them and grabbing them, their very flesh is melting away. Evidence that they have gone after the things of the world that were foolish And you see that in that last phrase, you have laid up treasure in the last days. That's a condemnation. It's exactly like our illustration. You're in the apartment, and you've bettered it in these last days of the move. You've laid up treasure that's temporal, that is passing away, and that's what you've sought in the last days, failing to realize it's all gone. That's that use of the present tense. It's already happening. Your riches don't fulfill. Your garments don't truly give you joy. And your gold and silver are actually destroying your life and you don't even see it, and you've laid up this treasure in these last days. Foolish. Foolish to do these things. These last days are the days until Christ comes. The Bible always speaks of these last days, not in the sense that Christ will come right away, We know that there are texts that indicate some kind of delay, but the way these last days are always applied in God's Word is that that it's just you're anticipating the coming. It's right there. Christ's coming is near. It's it's at the door. It's at hand. And that's the way the Bible speaks of these last days. That's the way we are to live. And it's not a bait-and-switch God isn't being truthful by saying, I know I said it was going to be right now, and I'm not. No, it's that living in the sense of redemptive history. And living in the sense of redemptive history says, there is nothing we're awaiting until he comes. The Messiah has come. We live in the time of his mercy to repent. But what's the next thing to happen is his coming in judgment with trumpets that sound. And by then it's too late. And in that sense, these days are right around the corner. We don't know their time. They will come like a thief in the night, but they're there. And this is how we as believers use this use the knowledge of the last judgment and his coming rather than lay up treasures in these last days. And this is where I want to apply it, where we see God's will for our life. We are not supposed to treasure these days, we are not supposed to treasure the things of these days. Trips, money, investments, salaries, hobbies, stuff. It's foolish. Living for them is foolish. We can certainly praise God through the gifts he gives. But when that's what we set our attention on and that's what we live for, we are being as foolish as these fraudulent, despicable, rich men. And we can face the same contamination when we when we grab it and seek it and, and in greed exploit it. It's not God's will. It's not God's will to seek the riches of these last days. It's not a good investment. These treasures don't even satisfy now. You know, you think of that. There are times when you can splurge and you go to a really nice restaurant or you really treat... You know, yourself, you're celebrating something, you think, this is so great. This food, this this restaurant, it's amazing. If only we could do this more often. You see what happens, there is a legitimate usage for the celebration. And the way you're supposed to use it is to say, thank you, Lord, for this blessing. We see the goodness of your intended creation. We see the way we can praise you in what we what we eat and drink and the time we spend. But it can flip very quickly into we seek the riches. If only we could do it all the time. If only this would be the joy of our lives. Well, when we flip into that category, it no longer satisfies And were you to have that every day, were you to go to the most expensive restaurant every day and have the the whatever, the $60 steak and all the sides you could want and the drink that could continue to overflow into your cup, it wouldn't satisfy. It wouldn't fulfill. The only proper usage of the riches of the last days is to thank God for them, to glorify Him in them, and also, especially, to live self-sacrificially and use the riches of this day which fail for the kingdom of God which does not. That's what we, the will of God is, as we see revealed, even his condemnation of these, these wicked men who aren't using it correctly. We must be aware of this danger. God would not have us treasure the riches of the world But know as well in that sense where we gain comfort and strength from the knowledge of the judgment that those who so foolishly treasure them, it will be shown to be foolish. Now, we can take comfort in that as believers. We should. We aren't seeking their harm. We aren't gleeful in their destruction. God himself is is not pleased in that sense of condemnation and judgment in the same way he is of righteousness. But he's glorified in justice, and in that way we are as well. We seek the glory of putting to right. Like I said, we don't seek the glee of this, we seek satisfaction. There's a debt that must be paid, and it will be, and the foolishness of the world is put to right. That's our first point foolishness of riches, but second, the fraudulent gain. And we see this begin in verse 4. So the first point we see, the just condemnation of the foolishness. Well, here you see the condemnation for the riches and justice. Or how did they gain it? How they got it? Verse 4 says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. There's that There's that personification of the very cry of their injustice. It's coming to God. You can think of the way in which Abel's blood cried to the Lord. It cried out from the ground saying, fix this. This is unjust. This is wrong. What James is saying, the very fraud of the wealthy and powerful, the very fraud of those who are in power, by which they misuse and abuse, is crying out against them, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. By fraud and deception, they've gained. They have not done it rightly. They have not thanked the Lord. They have not sought Him and His ways. It's been a foolish goal. It's been foolishly pursued, and they're condemned. The servant ought to enjoy the protection of his master. And the biblical example of good business owners, the biblical example of true masters, of those who are in a position of power, is to not use their power for fraudulent gain or deception or injustice. It's to use it for the power of the Lord, for the people underneath them. It's to live self-sacrificially. So when we apply this again as the will of God for our lives, do we live with the expectation that those in which we have power over, which can be almost anything, would they praise our names as those who righteously use it, as those who don't seek the foolish riches of the world but provide for those under their care who live self-sacrificially? You know, this is the example of Christ, the, the rich man, the fully rich man, God himself, who gave all for others. That's the example that we follow. And so God's will for you, if you are a a business owner, if you have people under you who answer to you, if you're a parent, if you're an older sibling and you have a power over your younger siblings, how do you use it? Use it for their good. You sacrifice for them. You don't misuse them for your gain. And then that name the harvesters, their cry, it reaches the ears of the Lord of hosts. I've already said it. That term in the original language is kurios sabaoth. Kurios is Lord. Sabaoth is of hosts, of armies. And so that title that James is taking is specific. Who has the cry reached? The ears of whom? The Lord Almighty of armies is the, is the title. Very good use of that name. You see, it, it doesn't just reach the, the ears of the judge. It doesn't just reach the ears of the perfect Son of God. It, it, he is that. But his title, what's, what's being loaded here and front-loaded here, is that he's the Lord of armies. As rich and powerful as these men are, As much as they're able to siphon out of those under their control and squeeze them for every penny that they're worth, there's armies coming and the Lord who governs them. Now I hope in that, that just brings to us a a great amount of peace. I'm going to apply it to the events of the world around us. We, We see so much that's wrong. So much done to us by loved ones, so much done to us by those in power. You can think of even governmental power and we see injustice and it cries out within us and that's not wrong. It's just like, it's like the harvester's cry. It bleeds out and it comes to the Lord and it demands that there be some, some leveling, some justice to come and it will. We're not seeing God withhold justice. We're seeing the sentence declared here, and we will see it carried out. Now, doesn't that strengthen us in our cross-bearing? Doesn't that give us peace and comfort in these last days that our Lord is coming, the Lord of armies comes? Christ is the example of he who gave all. He isn't stingy in his giving. He isn't sparing in his giving, and that's what the the powerful of the world, the wealthy of the world should be, and they're not. And God's will is that we would be, that we would use our wealth rightly, that we wouldn't commit the same type of sins, the same foolish decisions. So we would live obediently, and we would gain so much strength by knowing our great brother comes, that we would live with that satisfaction. You are on, to these to these sinners, you may be on your thrones now, and you may, you may be misusing us now. That won't always be the case. Righteousness comes, he comes. Our third point, fattened self-indulgence. Fattened self-indulgence. This is a condemnation of the riches, self-indulgence, or how they use their riches. So you see, what's been already condemned is how they gained it, and now what's condemned is how they use it. Verse 5, You have lived on the earth in luxury. And in self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Again, the foolishness is still present here, but it is condemning what they're doing with it. Here we see God despises self-indulgence. He despises the use, use of what he's given in this world for your own indulgent life. Self-indulgence is selfish devotion to your own pleasure. That's what it is, selfish devotion to your own pleasure. And what it comes down to, it's self-worship. You, by proceeding this way, as these rich men do, think you're worth it. You think you're worth the misuse and abuse of others and the gain and greed that you should be able to spend on yourself. Worship yourself is what they do. It's unrestrained. And that description again, it's 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 I say beautiful language, it's chilling language. You fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You're a fattened calf you fattened your souls on the riches of this world so that you can be slaughtered. Fraudulent gain, idolatrous self-worship, where does that lead? These men who misuse, and abuse the people of God, who misuse what God has given, who misuse the creation itself, well, it's fattening to slaughter. Now to say it like that, I hope again, strengthens our faith, Strengthen[s] the awe in which we see the power of God and the justice of God, but saying it that way, I also would pray would awaken within us a certain strength in pity. What I mean by those who do abuse us and misuse us, even the leaders of the world, the riches, the frauds, whatever it is, that's their outcome, fattened for a day of slaughter. In that way, we can rightly pity them and gain strength that 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 isn't our outcome, it is theirs. But also in, in that sense of, yes, satisfaction, but the sadness of that's what awaits these men. And so we'll gladly bear their abuse. We'll gladly bear this, knowing what is happening. Knowing that we actually, and I'm not saying we can't pursue justice on this earth, we should. But knowing that we don't have to, being willing to be abused, to be defrauded, because it it doesn't matter. That's what living in in the last days sense, living with the judgment of God in our minds does for us. It doesn't matter. Their self-fattened self-indulgence will come back to haunt them. And again, we ourselves should not live in this way. We don't live for self-indulgence. We don't live for greed. We don't live for what we might be able to do on this earth. We don't misuse what God has given us like these men do. We use it. We use it for the kingdom of God, or at least we should. Acts 2.45 in the early church, it says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Lavishly giving of perhaps what they didn't really even have. What I mean by that is sacrificially. We so often give according to our, our top number. We skim off the top, this money that we don't need, this is what we'll give. We ought to give like those, we ought ought to give in a sense to to the level that it hurts, that we sacrifice, that we take away from these foolish treasures of the world and apply it to what truly matters. We ought to give sacrificially, and to us so often giving sacrificially just means a delayed gratification. So often what it just means is that, okay, I'm going to wait for a bit before I go and do this that I want, before I go purchase what these things are. Why do we say that? It's because our, our, our living is, is that move date. We're selling these possessions that don't matter, and we're storing up the, the wealth of heaven. We're exchanging. It's the great exchange. You're exchanging what has no value here for what has eternal value. Seeking the kingdom of God, that's what it is, using it for his purposes. And that way you've taken wealth that would corrode, and you've given it the, the, the opportunity, you've given it to God, and he uses it for the growth of his kingdom. We, we do that with our wealth and our time. Implugent lives who would defraud their laborers would actually go so far as to be like Ahab and murder someone, murder Naboth, who why he wanted his vineyard to orchestrate things and use his power to the point where he's taken the righteous man's life. I think that's what James has in mind here, the whole spectrum of murder, but especially that. This is what they've done, and the recompense is coming. Now, there are those who question is this a reference to death, to Christ himself? This could be translated they murdered the righteous one. They murdered the righteous one. He does not resist you. Now, I, I don't think that's the way it should be translated, but I think that does help us key in to a, a deeper point here. I think it should be translated, they murdered the righteous person, because James is addressing his own context, he's addressing his day and age and what these rich men are doing. But what he is doing here is he's calling these men who've been abused or abusing these people as the righteous person, those who belong to Christ. They've done it to those who are Christ's. And elsewhere in Scripture we see the the persecutions of God's people are the persecutions of Christ. In fact, when we are persecuted for our faith, when we're abused and misused, Scripture talks about it as filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that what's lacking in Christ is his atonement, or that there was something deficient in how he atoned for his people. What it means is that the suffering of the church is Christ's own suffering, and that is being filled up. And so to say that they persecute the righteous person who does not resist you is saying you are persecuting the Christ-like. And who is the one to come? It's the Lord of hosts. It's Christ. So you see there, though I believe James is actually saying what you're doing is against the righteous person, the knowledge of Christ is still present there because the way the righteous are acting is Christ-like. And dying without resisting is the very example Christ gave as that lamb was silent before his death. And they're acting like Christ, and they are like Christ, and you have murdered that person. Shame on you in awaiting his judgment for what you've done to his people. The divine recompense is coming. God knows it, and God wins And that gives us strength. Stronger Christ-like cross-bearing comes to those who anticipate the just wrath of God against those who are being fattened for slaughter. Don't despair. A text of coming judgment in this way gives to us so much peace, so much love for the Lord who sees. And let this give to you steadfastness. Don't be those who, at the signs of abuse, lose control. Who, at the signs of abuse, only can say, "This isn't right," and then and then be consumed with the injustice of it. Again, it is it is not wrong to pursue justice. We should, but by, by this text and what it teaches, we show we are those who don't lose control when the injustice is presently taking place, because true justice comes. And so we gain a a sticking power, a strength to uphold the burden, to to deal with persecution. How did James begin? Consider it pure joy when you undergo various trials, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance or steadfastness. And this text is a part of that very steadfastness, living with the the last judgment in mind, upholding us. We have a greater picture. And when we see the the rulers of the world do what they do and injustice, it doesn't spin us out of control. In fact, we are those who exemplify Christ and are those who, in this sense, don't even resist the the, the problems, don't even resist that condemnation of us. We don't even resist our own murdering because we have it correct. We have the right understanding. Living with a greater purpose in mind. I don't know about you, but these texts, though though chilling are very, that term satisfactory. Strengthen us in the knowledge of what our Savior is, who he is and his power, that's coming. Let us strengthen our faith in that knowledge. Stronger Christ like cross bearing comes to those who anticipate the just wrath of God. Let's pray. Lord in heaven we are in awe of you in this text, and we thank you for the justice that you bring, and we pray for strength that would allow us to suffer in Christ's own manner, that we would bear the injustices of the world, and that though we would seek justice on this earth, when we see that it is thwarted, we would not grow and groan in despair, as we know true justice reigns. Help this knowledge strengthen our faith and also help this knowledge direct our lives. May we not imitate the riches, the rich of the world. May we not imitate the pursuit of foolish wealth and gain. May we not use it wrongly, but instead use it for your kingdom. So may we learn of the right way to live and may we grow in our strength, drawing near to you in faith. We pray this in your great